Bros Pod is brought to you by Bet Online. Our partners at Bet Online continue to be the number one source for all your betting needs and sports info. Find all the latest odds, news, and sports development, including this year's NBA Finals, the NHL Hockey Conference Finals, Major League Baseball, the latest fighting news, and even next season's early NFL futures. So head to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today to receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Just use our promo code BLEAV, B-L-E-A-V, to get the bonus and get into the action. Bet online where the game starts. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another version of Bill Roden on Sports. Um, Bill Roden, I'm here at a, I usually say undisclosed location, but that's okay. I'm here in uh, uh, not only just Boston, Massachusetts, but here in Roxbury. We're in Roxbury, Massachusetts, right outside of Boston, uh, here at the Roxbury YMCA. Uh, the NBA had a really nice event. They were cutting ribbons on a new what was it, Gary? A new community center, yeah. uh, a new community center, and a gym. The NBA was here. Adam Silver was here. A lot of you know, a couple NBA legends. Uh, you know, the NBA wherever they go, so where they always try to put their imprint on something. So, you know, it was nice of them. We won't be cynical right now, but uh, you, you know, it was nice here with. Uh, well, first, let me throw it to my great co-host, and we'll introduce our our legion of guests that we have. So, so Jamal, great Jamal Murphy. I know you're holding it down there, uh, down there in Brooklyn. What's going on? What's up, Bill? Yep, holding it down in Brooklyn. Not much going on. Beautiful day here in Bed-Stuy. And, uh, you know, just been watching NBA Finals. I know we'll talk about that later. But first, we got, of course, uh, one of our guests, the great Gary Charles. We're going to talk about the event you were at a couple weeks ago in Vegas uh, for Advancement of Blacks in Sports. So a lot to talk about. And then, of course, up here, uh, got my good friend, uh, outstanding journalist, uh, the great Gary Washburn, who's sitting right next to me. I guess he'll put himself on. Uh, Gary, what's going on? Very good. Great to be here. Uh, honor to be with such esteemed gentlemen. And uh, I'll offer whatever I have to give. Number one, congratulations to Gary. He just got, uh, got his uh, master's degree in journalism from the University of Nebraska. So yes, great job that. Uh, it was a great two-year journey. Uh, very proud of him. And we're just sitting up here chopping up stuff, talking about story ideas uh, and all that. But we'll talk a little later because, you know, Gary, although he got his master's in journalism, he's got his Ph.D. in the Celtics. So <laughs> he will be able to tell us all things Celtics. But uh, first of all, man, let's, hey, hey, so Gary, um, number one, man, I want to congratulate you, too. That was a phenomenal event you put on, I guess, what, two two weekends ago yes. in Las Vegas. Uh, yes. The Advancement of Blacks in Sports had their first gala. And, man, it was, like, so impressive, man. A, it was in Las Vegas, so that was the first great step. Great venue, <laughs> uh, great venue. Uh, everything was so professionally done, man. Everything started on time, uh, which means I was late for a lot. Uh, they had... Really great people there, man. Uh, you know, the great Sonny Vaccaro was there. You reserved. But, but let me, I don't know if it was still the thunder, Gary. Why don't you talk about the event, man? And, and uh, we didn't really have a big chance to talk about what you thought of it, but it was your first major event. What did you think about it? I thought it was outstanding. Um, it was better than, than I had uh, expected. And I think, Bill, part, part of the why I thought it was so good. It was part of the reason why I wanted to do this. I wanted people to hear our black sports history of the richness of what we've done. And uh, literally there were people crying, you know, listening to a uh, John Carlos or Spencer Haywood. And even when Jamil Hill was talking about you, Bill, about the vote that you paid for black journalists, it was, it was inspiring. And uh, my, my daughter, was 23 years old, was there, and she's actually going to be going to Thomas Jefferson Law School um, uh, 
in San Diego. So we left from there and went there, but she was listening. And uh, she just got a Syracuse with her master's, which means she's smarter than most of us, right? And she said, Daddy, that was phenomenal. I didn't know most of this. I said, exactly. And we talked about your book a little bit, you know, Bill, and she's nodding her head. And um, that's what I wanted people to get, to understand that what we have done. And then to cap it off with the great Dr. J, Julius Irvin, you know, up there, still classy as ever. Uh, just still just, you know, Julius Irvin. It was just, wow. It, it was. So, yeah, Bill, I thought it was awesome. How are you going to, uh, I guess the thing is, uh, so when you when you set the bar that high, uh, I know you guys have been planning. What's the next? What's the next step? You know, what's the next? Uh... You, you know, uh, Bill, the gala is, is part of a means to an end. You know, trying to raise funds to to do the thing that ABI was created for, which is to be the voice for racial equity in sports. Uh, I'm actually meeting next week with one of uh, Brian Flores' lawyers who wants me to come into Mad so we can discuss maybe how we can help them to get the word out as far as what's going on with that. You know, as far as the gala, I've been asked that a couple of times, which is, how are you going to top this? And so what we're going to do, Bill, is probably start in the next two weeks, uh, put a group together and start discussing some of the people. Like, I may call you and say, Bill, give me a couple of names that you think uh, is next. Like, I like to tell people, you can't honor everybody one year, okay? So that's what makes this great in that we, we have a lot of people that we, we, we can honor, but we want to do it right. Yeah. Now, uh, just just for, for people listening, uh, and, and they're not as familiar with the uh, Advanced for Blacks and Sports organization, what's the what's the goal? I mean, there have been, we talked about, there's an evolution. There was a Black Coach Association, and it's, what what is the the purpose, uh, and what do you guys want to accomplish as the advancement of blacks in sports? You know, um, the difference with us and I guess some other organization is that the advancement of black um, advancement of uh, you know blacks in sport is that we encompass most of the sports. It's not just one definitive sport. So there's basketball, baseball, football, track and field, you know, volleyball, and uh, I'm happy to say that in the last couple of years, uh, especially in the minority, uh, in the minority side of basketball and women's side, men and men and women, that we have been able to get jobs. Uh, over 50% of the jobs that were open went to minorities. It's never happened before, and that's been with the help of you know ABIS bill, and because we created a watch list of who the top coaches are, and, and we gave them to the AD and the search firm, and they are they are watching watching and they're listening because as they said, well, we don't know him, Gary. Fine. Well, here's the, you know, here's the answer to the test. Now, as far as our goal, what we want to do, and I'm showing my age, is that, you know, we want to be the EF hut of uh, sports. When, you know, when people talk, you know, when we talk, you know, people listen. Okay. That's, that's, that's at the end of the day, Bill, is what we want to become to, to show people like, look, we're here and we're just not going to just let you just step over us like we're nothing anymore. You know, you talk about the, the search lists and the coaching, uh, I, you know, the college basketball coaches, a lot, you know, a lot of black coaches were hired, uh, you know, after George Floyd, same with women's co- on the women's side also. Then after that, you know, and it's been being talked about now is the NBA, right? And now with the hiring of Darvin Ham, you have what half of the NBA uh, head coaches are black, and it was far from that even even just about two years ago. So, what, you know, what's your what's your feeling on this? The new NBA news is. I think that um, um, some common sense is taking prevail. I've always felt that the NBA was always like a notch ahead of some of the other you know top sport uh, sport entities out there. You know, I, I I tell people this story that when I was in high school, I left my high school and went to a ninety nine percent white school. And within uh, three months, I was able to get acclimated to my white counterparts and they got acclimated to us. I still didn't like this song, but I can adjust to it. Okay. In three months. And the NFL after a hundred years are still saying they still don't know about hiring black coaches. That's just ridiculous to me. That's just an excuse. So this is why our organization is so important because guys, I don't know if you know this stat, 
90% of the starters in the NFL are black. Over 95% of the starters in the NBA are black. In college um, sports, in the, uh, the top five divisions out there, the NFL, I mean, the college football and basketball, over 90% are starters. But we don't know how to coach us. That's ridiculous. And, and Bill, you know this, right? When it may sound like we're being ridiculous, but you know what? It wasn't that long ago that there were times when we were ridiculous by drinking the same water fountain as them or using right. the same bathroom as them or, or we had to sit in the back seat as them. Okay, how does that look now? Okay, so it's the same thing I feel about, about this situation. It's ridiculous. Let me ask, let me ask we, we, you know, Gary, let, let me bring you in, you know, because uh, in fact, I don't know, Gary, maybe we may have a candidate for the next award. Uh, you know, the uh, head coach of the Celtics, Ime Udoka, is two victories away from winning the NBA title in his first year, you know. And, you know, in our industry, man, nothing, you can't argue with success. Uh, in fact, you cannot be a successful sports activist unless you win. If you look at every major person we consider being a great activist, they were champions. Was Muhammad Ali, you know, Tommy Smith, John Carl. I mean, go down the line. Uh, you know, you got to win in our business. You got to win because I was thinking, no, no one will Smith, listen to you. No one will listen to yeah, you unless you win. Who, who, who gives a damn if Ali would have been a tomato can? You know, who, who cares? If, but anyway, let me ask you this, Gary. Let me bring you in on this. Uh, what do you think of, uh, I know this kind of gets a little bit into the playoffs, but what's it been like uh, around Emil Udoka? He's a guy who kind of bounced around, worked hard. But here this guy is, is two victories away from winning the NBA championship in his first year. Well, it's interesting because um, – he is a long-time assistant, coached under Greg Popovich in San Antonio, then went to Philly, then went to Brooklyn. And then he has tried to, like, this is, he's tried to get these jobs. And finally, he gets the Celtics job, which is an esteemed position, which is obviously 17 championships, all that, the history, um, which, you know, that uh, we all know. But he has taken this extremely seriously. Like, he understands that there's a level, a different level of expectation for a first-year African-American coach, especially in his first coaching job, okay? Because people didn't know around Boston who he was. I mean, they had heard of him, you know, you see him. I didn't have much relationship with him before. You know, you give him, you see him, and you give him the homeboy head nod, and he gives you the head nod, and that's about it. You know, the, the like, what's up, brother? You know, some coaches are very, you know, Doc Rivers, Alvin Gentry, very conversational. You know, they talk to you like you're the best friend. Ime is not that dude like that. Ime is dead serious. And so you have to get to know him and understand for him to open up. And he has taken his job very seriously, taken the approach very seriously, been hard on the players kept it real, all of the above, because he knows how important this position is to especially a first-year African-American coach who is in his first NBA job. Like, this is Boston. Like, people want to know who you are. They want to get it. Like, he had said, okay, I'm going to show you with my coaches. I'm not going to be on all these talk shows. I'm not going to be on Twitter. I'm not going to be this personable guy that you all go know and love. I'm gonna win you. I'm gonna try to win you a championship. Then y'all will go love because that's where it ends. X's and O's. He knows for a black coach in the NBA, you have to win, especially when you don't have the big star name. You're, he's not Chauncey Billups. He didn't win an NBA MVP uh, in, of the finals. He didn't have a 15, 18 year playing career where he would made seven All Star teams. He was a journeyman. He played for Portland. He played for San Antonio. People didn't hear about him. He was a dude who was the eighth man on his best day, eighth or ninth guy, right? So he understands his position. And I think that's what – I think he opened the door in many cases for Darvin Ham because Darvin is a dude who – I mean, you would not want to see Darvin in a dark alley. You just wouldn't. Darvin – you see a picture of Darvin, Darvin looks like man out – 
step to me and you see what happens. Like, he's got that aura about him. He's a big dude. He's always known for breaking the backboard at Texas Tech when he played the tournament against North Carolina. Like, he's a he's an intimidating-looking dude. So imagine him walking into the owners of the Lakers, G.D. Bush, okay? And he's got to convince them this mean-looking brother is ready to take the Lakers to the next level, to championship. He's ready to coach Anthony Davis up. He's ready to bring the best out of Russell Westbrook. All that, like, he's got to prove that. And I think that Yudoka's success has now opened the door for a lot of these jerk kind of veteran NBA assistants who have been black, who played but didn't have the illustrious career to now get more jobs and get more opportunities. For years, it was the analytical white guy. It was the smart guy, the guy who was um, in the front office. And, you know, yeah, had the Ivy League education, was telling was was able to break down the yeah. game analytically, but never played or might have played Division three. I mean, Brad Stevens played Division three in college. He was a college coach, and now then he got handed the Celtics job, and he did a very good job. Ime paid his dues, but understood that as an African American coach, I can't force around. I can't be acting no fool. I got to win games, keep it real and serious, have no mistakes or slip ups. And then I'll get the respect, and then I'll open doors for other coaches who are like me who are coming off the court and trying to coach but need to go through the steps because we don't get very rarely the instant promotion from player like Steve Nash in Brooklyn. Hey, Steve, you never coached, but hey, here's KD and Kyrie for you. Coach the Brooklyn Nets to a championship. We don't get those opportunities like that. So I think for Ime – Watching him has been impressive because he takes a ser- he's a serious dude, and uh, he understands his responsibility. Let me ask you this: If you know, obviously he's already made a huge impression already, right? If they don't win another game in this series, he's made a huge impression. But what, if he wins, if Boston wins two more games, and they and they are NBA champions, NBA champions, what what significance? Is that like just for for him, for black coaches, for people's view of of him? And I think black it's coaches. huge, tremendous, um, because now NBA, you know, like any other sports league, it's a copycat league, right? Uh, NFL teams, one Sean McVay wins a Super Bowl. Every NFL team is looking for Sean McVay Jr., right? Um, whatever the coach, the, the the flavor of the month is. The Warriors win games shooting threes. Every other coach and general organization now wants to sign Steph Curry Jr. and Seth Curry and his brother and his cousin to try to shoot threes and win and have that combination. So this will open the doors up for more coaches like a Darvin Ham, like others who have been grinding. Sam Cassell, we see them on benches. We don't know. Sometimes we don't know their names. We see these brothers on benches paying their dues, doing all the grunt work, coaching under these, uh, you know, great coaches and getting the acumen. But then it's like, well, where your championship ring? How many all-star teams? We get asked our playing credentials. We don't be average player and then be great coach. You know, Rick Carlisle was not a great player. Uh, we could go down the line of NBA coaches. Steve Kerr was a good fantastic three-point shooter. He was a complimentary player on the championship team. But, hey, here you go, Steve. Here's the Warriors. Here you go, Steve Nash. Steve Nash Hall of Fame player. No coaching experience. So this will open the door for other African-American coaches who came from the same roots as Ime. And for him, I think he'll never have to buy another drink in Boston again. (laughs) That's great. Uh, You know, uh, Hey, Gary, you're listening to this. I'm wondering what you're thinking, because, again, in some ways, that's what, you know, that's everything your organization is about, is not giving people anything, but people who kind of earned it, you know, making sure they get the opportunity. And my thing has been, if you look at how long the NBA has been almost 70 to 80 percent black, it's almost been, almost, I'd say, 25 to 30 years. You know, that's a long time to build up a great talent pool. So I know we're going to celebrate at 16, 
the NBA is half. But hell, man, you could easily have 90% of the coaches in the NBA could be African American. If you look at it, it could look like the backfield in the NFL uh, or yeah. like the player. What do you think about that, Gary? Think about think about it this year. Like, could you could you turn around and have sixty uh, percent black coaches in the in the in the hockey league? I don't think so. Okay, and um, so when I look at the NBA, I'm like, well, yeah, it's supposed to be that way. We don't want us bringing in the money. We don't want us doing everything. But I was uh, I, I was smiling and just thinking about the situation, you know, with uh, uh, with with uh, Uma up there. Because here's the thing: if you look at Golden State, they start five black guys, all right. But all we're talking about is the black coach on the other team. We're rooting for, him. and it's a shame that here we are in 2022. We still have to root for the black coach. It's, you should be able to root for the team you want to win. But as blacks, we don't have that luxury. We're always pushing, like, I need that black coach to win. And I got to say to you, to be transparent, I picked Golden State beginning of the year uh, to win. But the other part of me, like, oh, man, but there's a black coach over there. <laughs> you know, it's a shame that we're still doing that, Bill. So, so that's kind of like where my attitude is right now. But at the same time, we feel proud because just as you said, this is what our organization is all yeah. about, trying to advance I still us. do that. I mean, you know, yeah, you know, I mean, I still do that. Although it's hard now. I remember when I first started watching sports with my dad, this was, you're talking the 50s. It, it, you, you almost had to do that. You know, we always cheered for the team with the most black players. You know? I mean, it's always. And then I guess Absolutely. when you get to a point where like both, all, you know, both teams have a lot of black players, then what do you do? And now we to the point, and I guess it's good, there's going to be a point where both coaches are going to be black, you know. So that's a good thing to have. Um, yeah, that, and that's the goal. That's and you get it that's because what you want. we played it, we dominated. One thing, uh, this kind of gets a little off topic. I had a, a friend, you know, the uh, NFL announced that yet another white guy is going to be an owner, this billionaire, Walton. And that day, about two days ago, I got a call from a friend of mine who's like a, 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 a finance guy. And he was part of a group with, uh, I guess, the former mayor of, uh, of Denver and some other folks who had putting together, trying to put together money. And this guy just waltzes in and plops down $4 billion. And, I, yeah, and I was wondering what you guys think about this. Because when he said that, and, you know, you've had Robert Smith and other people kind of scraping together their money. But it's kind of like, you know, you're shopping for a house, right? And the house is selling for like 900000 And, you know, you, you, you know, your parents give you some money and you scrape it up and you can finally come up with a down payment. Some cat comes up and drops down $2 million, you know, 200 out over what they're asking for in cash, you know. And I guess to me, this guy was saying, it number one speaks to the wealth gap in a way but also, I was saying, well, what do you want? And he told the story about he was going to buy his house in Harlem on Strivers Row. And the house at that time, a long time ago, was selling for like two or 300000 which was back in the day a lot. And he and his wife wanted to buy it, and a black family owned it. And that's when it was beginning of gentrification. And people were coming, white people were coming with $203 more. But she said, no. I want you guys to have it. So I'm going to sell it to you for this price, mm. which they could afford. And in a way, mm. he was saying the NFL is talking all this stuff about we want black ownership, we want that. At what point does the NFL say, listen, if it's just about money, black folks are going to lose all the time. You know, if it's a jump ball, white folks are going to always right. win. You know, so at some point, what do you do right. to say, no, 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 man, you're just not going to waltz in here with either you're going to take these people as a partner or something else. But what do you guys think about that, um, you know, uh, in a capitalistic society? Is that the way to go? Is that a way, you know, is that, you know, I'm sure people say, that's not fair. But what do you guys think about that concept? No, I think, I, I think that personally, I think that's a great uh, example of what, what probably should be done. I mean, when you talk to anybody about, uh, diversification or, you know, more 
creating more opportunities for black people in different areas where they've been discriminated against uh, historically. Everybody says you have to be purposeful. You know, you have to, you have to take, take direct action to make sure that happens. And like you said, the NFL has plenty, plenty of money. So if it's, so if it's about make, making things more equitable, uh, making the league more diverse, then that is what you do. I, I think you do, you, you don't just give it to the highest bidder. You take, you take all things into account, um, almost like, you know, like they do with college admissions, or they say they do, for, and they, but they only do it for about 5%. But, you know, you, you take everything into account and, 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 and you take, you, if, you, if it makes the league a better place, you do take, you don't have to take, you don't have to go to the highest bidder. You do take less money. So I think that's a perfect example of what you should do. Bill, I, I, I love that, that example because the house that I'm living in now, uh, my wife and I were not the highest bidder. At one point in this area, in the late all 70s and even in the 80s, this was all white over here. And eventually some blacks started to move in. As a matter of fact, Chuck D from Public Enemy used to live down the block. But anyway, so when we came in, we weren't the highest bidder, but they said, we want blacks to live here. And they gave us the opportunity to buy this house. Now, now I'm here 24 years later. So I think what Jamar just said is actually right. Like, what are you trying to do? You know, the NFL has more money than what God. So if you are seriously talking about that to give blacks an opportunity, then give us that opportunity. Because you said it, Bill. Because if it's up to the highest bidder, whites are going to win all the time. They have what? A 300-year a head start on us? So let's just be realistic about that. Right. When do we ever get yeah. the opportunity? And, and, and I think that, that you, everybody's heard the, the word diversity is good for business. And I think we, we, you know, everybody says that, but I think to a group of white billionaires, multi-billionaires, and you say that, they say, what do you mean by that? <laughs> I mean, it just sounds good, but, you know, you can't prove that by me. You know, I'm a multi-billionaire. I ain't any blacks in my company, and I'm doing just fine. So I think that somebody said that, uh, whether it's in black coaching, I forget who said it, but they said we got to do a better job. Maybe it's in the NFL coaching thing. We have to do a better job of showing how wide diversity is good for business. I mean, it, we, we see it in the NFL in the playing ranks where they kept black folks out. Now the league is like 80% black players. Clearly, you could look at that and say, yeah, diversity has been great for business. But how does that affect Right. The office, the, the C-suite, you know, uh, why would diversity be better or good in the C-suite, too? We'll segue over to, you know, the big the big sporting event now, which is the NBA Finals. Uh, we know we're, we just finished game three. We are joined uh, now by Thomas Sawyer, who is cut, who is basically head of head of officials for for Gary's huge AU tournament in in Vegas. What's what's the name of the tournament again, Gary? The Las Vegas Big Time Tournament. The Las Vegas Big Time Tournament. Uh, welcome ah, to there it is. He's got the shirt on. <laughs> Th Th Thomas, welcome to the show. What, so, so what's what's your what's your background? Uh, I guess with Gary, but also just uh, with officiating in general. Uh, thanks for having me. First of all, so mm -hmm. I've been officiating high school, high school, and some college basketball for several years, and uh, I kind of stumbled into the role that I play with, with Gary, um, several, several years ago. And it's just, uh, an awesome experience every, every summer to do what we do on the scale that we do it on. So it's a little bit about me. I live in, I live in Vegas, but I'm, I'm retired air force originally from Indiana. Mm -hmm. So basketball is also in my blood. It's what I've known since, since I was so a I've, I've got a question for you, Tom. One of the reasons why we wanted to have you on, uh, and, and you're joined here by uh, Gary Washburn, who writes for the Boston Globe and he covers it. I want to get to your mind when you're watching the playoffs and you watch uh, a Draymond Green tight. What's going through your mind uh, in terms of how you handle it? How do you separate uh, tactics and strategy from the rules of the game? Um, just some of your thoughts about what you think you've seen how he's been handled. Uh, you saw the other day that uh, some people thought he should have been kicked out. And then uh, one of the referees who works for ESPN 
said that, you know, well, yeah, you know, you go over there, you're aware who's got a technical foul, you're aware of the score, and kind of insinuating that kind of determines who you're going to throw out, who you don't. So I know I'm throwing a lot at you, but just your general impressions on Draymond Green and all the controversy surrounding him. Yeah, so first of all, I have I have a good friend who's an NBA ref, and those guys are scrutinized more than uh, – any anybody else you know we we look at them on tv but they go through a process every day from the morning to probably the next day for every call they make every move they make and if you notice a lot of what they do their interactions with the players they're pretty much emotionless and that's and that's done purposeful because they don't want to bring emotion to the game because they're dealing with millionaires that are uh, the highest skilled basketball players in the world. And I think to answer your question specifically, Draymond Green is a throwback to the days of the Chicago Bulls, the New York, New York Knicks. He's that he's a modern day version of a Charles Oakley or a, uh, a Anthony Mason. He's the, he's the enforcer for the Golden State Warriors and he knows what he's doing at all times. Sometimes he steps over the line and they deal with it appropriately. Other times he gets right on the line and he tests them. And sometimes they just, sometimes they don't give a technical foul. You know, it's, it's the playoffs. So the playoffs been going on, seems like for about three months now, it's a totally different, totally different season. It's like, it's part two of the NBA season. So there's a lot more at stake. And I think the referees have to really be aware and think about what they do if they make that decision to give him. Why is that? I mean, isn't a technical foul technical foul? I mean, do you know? Do you, do you need to know? Well, this is Draymond Green. It's Game Three. It's not that much time left. Uh, I mean, I know maybe it's naive to say. You know, I always was always people say, "Well, it's playoff basketball." So why why do rules change? You know, if it wasn't a foul and February, why is it a foul in, in June? I know we, we're talking about Draymond Green specifically, but I think there are others that also push some of those boundaries and they may not, they may not do it as uh, openly and overtly as Draymond Green. You know, like I said, I have a friend who's a ref. I could tell you, I could tell you others' names that really press the refs every game. And sometimes they get technical fouls. Sometimes they don't get technical fouls. So it's not just Draymond. He's just so overt about it. And he's, he's in their face about it all the time. As far as the difference between regular season and playoffs, I just, it's tough, but I think it's kind of natural. I think it's, I, Tom, hey Tom, you know what? Uh, I have some more perspective on that. Uh, and my thing is always follow the money. You're now in the NBA playoffs. You're down to two teams. So everyone in Boston wants Draymond gone. But maybe the rest of the country just want to see some good games. So they want to see him there because that's, that's a good game. And sponsorship want him there because that's money. It's the NBA, okay? If Draymond is gone, then, I mean, it's not as good of a game, so to speak. We can say whatever we want. These referees are human, too. They know what time it is. They know what's going on. We're in the playoff. This is it, Okay. And to start throwing guys out, he, even though he does walk the line, we all know that. But, but you know what? That's every damn game. A lot, a lot of these guys are doing the same thing. So I don't know if we can sit there and worry about the Boston fan or the Golden State fan. We need to worry about the damn country and what's, what is it going to be. And uh, I don't think they want to take that away from people. And I'm sure the NBA does, doesn't want them to take that away from people either. Yeah. That, that's my thing. You know, you know, Gary, you know, you've covered a lot of NBA, a lot of NBA. Uh, and so, sometimes I think that it's almost like, I, I'm sorry, God. sometimes I, I think it's almost like, uh, I think that it's just a different type of generation now in terms of one, um, we didn't know in our growing up, we didn't know all the names, the officials, like you would hear the, they would read them off before the game. Like I grew up a Laker fan, you know, I knew Hugh Hollins, I knew Hugh Evans, I knew uh, you know, like some of the old guys, but you didn't, you know, you just knew that they they commanded respect and they weren't to be played with. Even like, you know, generations like Joey Crawford, they weren't, 
they, they, they were not to be played with. Now we know all their names. Now we know the records of the teams when they officiate certain teams with certain games. We know Scott Foster is the, the, the official who want, is, is there to extend a series when a team is uh, on the brink. If it's a, if they down 3-1, Scott, uh, Scott Foster is officiating the game. Uh, teams who are under eliminate, uh, facing elimination are 12-2 with Scott Foster. And limit, like, it's crazy how uh, we have become so much more scrutinized. Uh, we have scrutinized the officials because we know who they are. We, they, the, and the NBA has done this. The NBA releases in the morning the name of the official. The NBA has created a two-minute report. I don't know how officials feel about that. This is all the fuck-ups, excuse my language, from the night before his game in the last two minutes. This is what y'all did wrong. We can't do anything about it, but they missed seven calls. Right. Good luck tonight, guys. You know, like, go get, go get them tonight. Like, so what are the risk of referees supposed to do? Like, they're being graded. They're being, you know, like, we see, I've, you know, like, it's the same circle of refs. There are refs like, you know, Mark Davis, who they say he likes to make a production. He's going to do the charging call. He's going he's gonna, to, you know, he wants to be on TV. There are those that you know, notice they're there. I think there's just so much more scrutiny on officiating because, and let's be honest, it's because of the betting lines. Right. This is what's dangerous in the, the line we're crossing with sports now is betting. And the NBA – has been the first one to embrace betting. How many points over under is Draymond going to score in game four? Like, so, on TV. It's yeah, exactly. If Draymond gets thrown out, well, those who took the over on Draymond scoring 10 points right. is losing money. Right, right. Somebody is calling Commissioner Silver and saying, excuse me, how come he threw Draymond out yep. over uh, a little scrape? Right. So there's a lot of pressure on officials that did not exist 15, 20 years ago. The betting lines, the, the, the public listing of all their mistakes. So it's a thankless job. Now, I think that there are very good referees out there. There's some who are, who, are, who are not so good. There's some new females. I remember, I mean, in the, I've been in the league a while. Violet Palmer. I mean, the, the first black female referee got out. Mm. I mean, they used to, I mean, fans used to talk about her weight. Fans used to clown her. Like, it was bad. It was like, like I, I'm, I'm not surprised she got out the game because it was just a thankless job. Wow. Now, obviously, there are referees who are doing great work. There's some who aren't so good. There's some that inject themselves. But we live in a situation now where every play is, is, is reviewed. No hard foul. We had a flagrant on Al Forford in game three. That would have been no foul, no play, let him play 15 years ago, 20 years ago. That's why the dudes in the 80s are laughing at this game. That was because of Kawhi. That's why they're shaking their that head. Was... These dudes are making 30 million and they don't get no flake. They can't, they, they don't get no wood when they go to the rim. Yeah. So it's a it's a thankless job for the fish for, for the officiating. But the NBA has created that. The betting lines and then the two-minute report, all these things makes the job even more difficult. I was going to ask, because the NBA has always had the stigma, right? Like, you could be talking to friends. I, you know, I got all these, all these friends with group, with group texting during the game, and half of them are like, oh, the NBA's fixed. Oh, they want – oh, they call it for Boston today. And then the next ne – and they're looking at the fouls. Uh, oh, look, Golden State has, all the, has more foul calls. The NBA is fixed. And I'm not, I'm wondering why why is the NBA have that stigma when I don't hear the same thing with the NFL when you got Tom Brady coming back 28 to three down 28 to three you don't hear people like oh that or or pass interference calls that that are out of nowhere you don't you don't hear the same stigma well, we know that shit is fake what, what what is it about the NBA is it is it the what? black league thing again I think one is the Donahue book remember Tim Donahue wrote that book and was just like this dude is on the take this dude doing this. He told he told, he he was like Jose Canseco with the steroids. Like he let the cow the bag. Two, there's always the rumor that 2000 David Stern wanted the Lakers and Kobe and Shaq in the finals, so he maneuvered right. to where they caught all these late calls on Sacramento in the Western Conference Finals, 
because he wanted the Lakers in the finals to face AI and the Sixers. Like, is that true? How did it go? You know, because remember, like 2000, I think it was 2000, um, you know, the Kobe and Shaq hadn't been in the finals before. Okay, so what do you want? Do you want to see Kobe and Shaq in their first finals or do you want to see the Sack Kings? You know, with, and I like Sack, Bibby, right. Chris Webb, and Page and all those guys, but it's Sacramento market, LA market. Like that, that's the thing. Stern made a call to, you know, and, and made sure that they, game seven was not even going to be a quote. Like they were going to control game seven to where Kobe and Shaq advanced to their first finals. That's where it kind of, to me, started. And then the Donnie book, he, and he called out particular refs. And then Joey Crawford, like that's where the officiating became more scrutinized. In um, what did Joey Crawford do? Just his actions, throwing, just just being over the top. You know what I'm saying? Like o- overly sensitive and right. pecking people up right. and all that, going nuts. You know, because people was like they told him to calm down. Because remember he, remember he like. If y'all remember Tim Duncan made yeah. a remark on the bench. He was smart. Tim Duncan was smiling was on like, the bench. Tim, you out. Like, and Tim was like, damn, I'm chilling, talking about talking my man's here. What? Like, I ain't talking to you. And he was like, No, I, I overheard you. You done. And Tim was like, damn, like I can't say something to my man's here. Like, I gotta like, so that's where the league started really locking down and controlling the officials. And then it was like, well, when the Donahue book came out, it's like, well. We got to be more revealing. So then it came the two minute report. Right. We want to. We don't. We don't want the perception that our referees are cheating. Right. So that's where it got kind of sticky. I think. I think that. No, I, I, think, I think that it may be partially a black thing also because in the NBA they don't have helmets on. We can see them up close, and there are some of the same things that have happened in the NFL. Remember the year that Tom Brady got hurt. Somebody kind of rolled up on his knee. The NFL couldn't have that, so they changed the rule. They changed. They changed the rule. Now, Tom Brady, when we think about it, he's been caught cheating, but he's still the darling of the NFL because he's Tom Brady, right? Yeah. yeah. So there, there is, there is some evidence. There is some evidence and some indicators that it may that it may be about. You got these black guys. You got the malice in the palace. We can see them up close. They don't wear. They're not wearing helmets. They're wearing chains and cornrows, and we don't like that. We like. Yeah, you know what? We uh, like the product, but we don't like the way they look. Yeah, I, I think it's like everything else, right? White people don't want to give up their power, and what's happening is that more and more blacks are are taking over the league, and they're trying to figure out what to do about that. But it's interesting, right? Because they love watching us. You know, they love the entertainment. But as soon as we don't do something maybe that they like, they have something to say to say about it. Now, let me say this as a, as a basketball operator who runs the event. Uh, I remember a year, we had a team. It was, uh, I think it was the Oakland Soldiers. And uh, they were pretty good. And LeBron was coming to Washington because LeBron actually played with them for a couple of events when he was young. And they got upset uh, by, by another team. And I was so pissed off because I knew these guys had messed up my gate and they had messed up the team people really wanted to see, okay? So I was like, hey, what's the other game? And I remember going to ref, hey, man, let be careful for the next game, right? I need that gate. I need that gate. He calls and, me. Uh, and Tom's my he guy. Calls me. But Tom would tell you, I don't say a lot. You know, I tried to keep it as cool as possible. Tom would tell you, Tom didn't even know who my team was. But, uh, but in the back of your mind, like I tell people, when I go to Vegas, I have my money in my mind, my mind in my money, okay? So there's that business element, and like I, I always say, just follow the dollar, man. follow the money. <laughs> there you have it. There you have it right there. Let, let, let's, uh, let's segue, before we go, let's segue to the, the NBA Finals, what's going on. It's 2-1 Boston right now. Uh, I don't know, uh, Gary, Charles, you just said that uh, you had Golden State from the beginning of the year. Um, I had, beginning of the series, I had Boston – in six or seven, um, where, uh, let me ask Gary Washburn, where where we are now as far as the series goes. Obviously, Boston had that big win in Game Three. We got Game Four tomorrow. As I was saying to you off off air, 
Uh, I've been, you know, having picked Boston the last three series I've, and watched them very closely. You just notice every other game, they seem not to show up. You know, they have a huge win. They look great. And you're like, wow, this team is for real. And then the next game, they have 20 turnovers and either they get blown out or lose a game they probably should have won. Where, where do you see this series going into game four? Yeah, Jamal, that's the thing. Um, can they be uh, poised enough to not blow this? Like, the, the, the championship is in their hands in terms of, like, they got to win two out of the next four. They don't have to win another road game. They can win the next – they can win both games in Boston. They don't have to go to San Francisco and win. But are they poised enough and can they handle prosperity enough to come back and play a solid game against a team that's going to play desperate? And I think from looking just from the, from the, from the naked eye, they're the more talented team and they should win, but that doesn't mean they are going to win because they're facing a team with championship medal with Steph and Clay. And Draymond's going to have something to say, obviously, after having a bad game three. So I think it's all on the Celtics to just, like, withhold the tide early. Like, in, the, in, in some of the Miami games, they got behind early. They got punched first. One of those games, they fell behind 46 to 20. Like, that can't happen. It's the NBA Finals. You can't slip for a half, okay? Um, and if they do what they're supposed to do, I think they should win the series. But that's a that's a big if. Game three, eight turnovers in the first half, four in the second half. They they took care of the ball, even withstanding Golden right. State's run, the seven point play, Steph being just as magnificent as he wanted to be, all that. They withstood that blow and then was able to come back and outscore him in the fourth quarter because they defended and they slowed him down. So will the Celtics have enough want to desire to come out? in game four, see a wounded opponent and say, let's punch them out. Let's knock them out. Because as you saw, Jamal, they probably – the Miami series probably shouldn't have lasted seven. Like, you know, they – they right. and then the, the Milwaukee series, they had to come back after blowing game five and right. win the last two. They This team puts itself – keeps itself in trouble and then digs itself out of trouble. It's like the, the dude who oh, – we always got a friend. Always – like, man, you always into something. But then he talk his way out of it. You know, how'd you get out of that? What, uh, man, you know me, I talk to a few people, you know, then it's like that's they live in that dangerous zone, but you can't do that here. It's the Warriors, it's the championship team. We'll see if tomorrow will tell us a lot about their focus and whether they feel like, well, we can we can still win another game in San Francisco. Like, you can't look at it like that. You don't want to have to go back to San Francisco and have to win a game, take care of home court, see what happens from there. Maybe that's what we should do, Jamal, before we sign off, is let's get on the record, yeah, everybody's prediction. Well, next time we get on the air, which will be, I guess, next week, will it be over? So maybe we should start with uh, our aficionados, uh, you know, Gary and Thomas, and uh, come, you know, come back to Gary here, uh, and then you uh, to talk about final predictions. I won't give a prediction. Oh, man. Okay. We, we'll, we'll go. How do you want to go or you want me to go? Go ahead, go ahead, Gary. Well, here's my attitude. Like I said, I picked uh, Golden State in the beginning, so uh, beginning of the year. So I'm not gonna change on that. But here's what I will say: I remember years that when we had Lamar Odom, Malik Allen, and Speedy Claxton on the team, and for years we just kept winning. So it didn't matter who we played; we knew what we had. So we could be in a game, a championship game, and be down eight points with a minute to go, but we knew we had it. Part of it was because of our experience haven't been there over and over. And the other team, because they haven't been there, they, they hadn't gotten over the hurdle of, of winning, okay? So even though they might have more talent, they just couldn't do it, and we would find a way to get there. So I feel like Golden State, because of what they've been through, they still have it in them. But just like everybody else, whether it was the, the Bulls having to get past Detroit, you know, a, after a while, or, 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 or any of these teams, they had to get over past somebody at some point. Does Boston have that in them now to get to beat the big boys, you know, so to speak? That, that remains to be seen. Until they do it, I'm still going with Golden State. Also, Gary, you forget to mention in that thing, you also have the referees in your pocket. Exactly. <laughs> 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 nah, it, it was my tournament at the time, okay? <laughs> 
All right, Thomas. Thomas, what, what do you say? As one of those referees who was not in his pocket. <laughs> so I've been a Lakers fan since 1980, and I'm I'm nervous. I'm nervous like a 72 Dolphins fan right now. <laughs> I I am rooting for Golden State. The problem is Golden State must execute flawlessly to get confidence and overcome Boston because they're not big. They're not big enough. They haven't been executing in the half court and they can't depend on these huge runs and seven point plays every game to bail them out. They have to execute from the beginning of the game to the end of the game. And it's going to be tough. I'm nervous. Like I said, I'm nervous. I want Golden State to win, but I'm nervous because Boston is deeper. And every time you look up, somebody else is hitting a three. Tom, you know what's interesting that you said that, right? Because they are too small. That's number one. But they blew the game, first game, when you think about it. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. They had that game. So while you're right, uh, Boston has the most talent, I I was surprised that Golden State allowed them to come back and win that first game. So things could easily be – Different, but uh, you know, I hope it's a, it's a, you know, it's a great series, and uh, but this is what makes this fun, right? We get a chance to, what do we think, and try to enjoy the moment. Yeah. The last thing, the last thing I'll say, and I'll turn it over to someone else. Have we ever saw Steph be Steph in the finals? I mean, he's been pretty good the first three games. This this finals, I mean. I, you know, I think I think that's a little unfair because he even the last finals uh, that they won when they had Kevin Durant, even Jamal, Steph, Steph had Jamal. like two, what? Yeah, Steph Shut had up. Steph had, had like two. He he was on the roll. It looked like he was on the verge of getting that MVP. He had like I think it's the first two games he played great. Yep. Then he had that one clunker, right? Yep. And yep. everything everything kind of changed. So it's not like I mean he still averages what like twenty six a game in the finals or whatever. I, I, it is. I would shoot Jamal. I, I literally was going to say uh, the same thing. And, and, and I'll say this. The same way I watched D-Wade take a step down in order for LeBron to shine, I felt that Steph just took a little step down to allow KD to do his thing because KD was that guy. And right now, the issue is not Steph. The guy's averaging like he said over 25 points. You know, listen, Clay did his thing finally last night. But before that, it was just yeah. it was just Steph. And then the other thing is I noticed that, you know, uh, Poole, is not be playing the way he was playing right. in other cities. So right. that's hurting them because now they're not getting the, the the points that they were getting, you know, from him. And and I think Tommy was you that said that you almost have to be on point if you're gonna be both. Oh, yeah. So if you're only playing with one and a half guys, you know, you it's definitely a problem. Yeah, I have uh you know, like I said, I had Boston in six or seven. The reason I say six or seven if at the big when the series started is because I'm just you know, just having seen Boston not take care of business, yeah. I could see them. I could see them losing their home, being able to take win it game six and lose, and then have to go, uh, you know, game seven to Golden State. And while everybody would say, "Oh well, a home game," go is is Golden State really going to lose a home game? I think Boston is the more talented team, and they have shown in, in these Miami. playoffs when their when their backs are actually to the wall. That's when they show they, up. They bring it. That's you when know, they so, so they they do have they, so I think they're going to win. It's just a matter of, of how many games, and if it goes seven, that's heart. That's you know your heart's going crazy. So you don't want to take it to that to that game seven, but I you know I could see it happening. Except you know if they it, obviously like I said they're they're up and down, but if they can if they can grow up and actually put together a serious performance in game four, then it become you know then it's their series. I think because they would have shown that they that they they would take care of business. I I, I kind of attributed to their stars are still young. Yeah. You know, Tatum is what twenty five. Yeah, Jalen Brown's twenty four. Mm-hmm. You know, you look at the you look at the guy like the mega stars in the NBA who have actually won championships. It's all it's usually around twenty seven years old, twenty eight. You need you need that maturity. Maturity. Um, I think they're going through that now. Yeah. And 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 to and to talk about even last game, you talk about Clay finally came through. That just makes me more confident in Boston because they were able. I mean, Clay and Steph had it going and in Game yeah. Three, and it didn't. They didn't, it wasn't enough. Yeah, it wasn't enough. And like you said, Pool is really the was the key all along to me yeah. was Pool, yeah. and he has he talked about somebody who needs to 
to, to mature and get better when, when, when things really matter, it's him. He's not, he's not at that. He's not at the level as Clay and Steph, and he's not at the level of Brown and Tatum at this point. And they needed, they need that third guy who's at least close to that level. And they don't have that. I, I, I picked originally Celtics in six. I don't see any reason to go against that. Right. Um, because what I've seen and I'm, I'm, I keep it real. I'm not a Celtic fan or whatever. I grew up, like Thomas, I grew up a Laker fan. Right. Uh, I was born and raised in Los Angeles. So um, I just, I know what I see from the naked eye. And the Celtics are more talented, although Steph's the best player in the series, but he's not getting a lot of help. And like Jamal said, Clay had it going. Clay was like as good as I've seen since he's been back. I mean, he was just shooting without thinking because he was thinking the first two games. Right. And then the home fans, come on, Clay, hit a shot. We need you. And then. Right. He got on the road and was just like nobody was cheering for him. So he played like he didn't have that that pressure, like his mom is there. You know, like Little League when you're playing and all your family's there and you want to do a score touchdown or something. You know, like Clay was playing in front of a hostile environment like, damn, I'm just balling. He, he, he was so good and they still lost. Poole looked lost. Right. Draymond just was talking too much. Like, it's just yeah. a lot. But I don't think – I think that what people have to realize, this is not the 18 Warriors. This is not KD. This is not all these dudes that a veteran, Sean Livingston. This isn't, you know, this isn't those guys that were like a family, a real cohesive group. This is Steph, Clay, and Draymond, uh, uh, aging Iguodala, and a bunch of young dudes. You know what I'm saying? A bunch of, you know, Kavon Looney, like dudes that have either not done it or they're just experiencing this themselves, like pool. So I, I think that people have to get away from the mystique of the Warriors. This is a they haven't won the title in four years. They haven't been to the finals in three years. So that's a long time. Clay had two years off with injury. So if if everything goes as is is playing, the Celtics should win. I don't see how Golden State can beat them three more times. Right. And remember, Golden State was not supposed to be here this year. They weren't supposed they weren't supposed to be in the finals this year. They kind of sped the process up a little bit um, because the young, you know, bringing the young guys along. And granted, Boston wasn't supposed to be here either. But but yeah. I feel like they're the more. Well, you know, I, I'm not going to say that because, like I said, I picked them. But right. I, but I but I picked them though because of uh, the veteran leadership, and I knew they were going to be hungry um, this year. So now I did think that uh, somebody was going to be there was going to be Phoenix. So the Phoenix thing right. really surprised me. Uh, all right, and uh, I'm agreeing with you regarding to uh, Boston because I thought it was going to be uh, probably Miami on, on the other side. But, um, hey, you know, but I, I love what Gary said, which is uh, – no, Jamal, you said about the maturity factor because I was one of the things I thought we used to have in that these kids were young. They were trying to become us back then, but they weren't there yet. And uh, uh, so it'll be interesting to see if uh, uh, Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown can get over that hump. Yeah, well, well, guys, uh, my last word on that will be I'm for whatever the Las Vegas line says. That's, <laughs> as as, as uh, you know, as Gary said, they know. So whatever the line says, that's where I'm going. They they know. So, so you got so you got Boston game four because they favored by three and a half. Bill. It is, brother. Talk it up. <laughs> hey, listen, man. This has been this has been very special. Uh, you know, thanks. Uh, Gary Washburn out here in, in Boston. Uh, thanks to Thomas Sawyer. It was a great name, by the way. That's a, that's a legendary name, Thomas Sawyer. <laughs> Love it. Appreciate it. And uh, also, of course, the great Gary uh, Charles. Thank you very much, man, for all you do. Thanks for a tremendous yes, yes. Uh, gala a couple of weeks ago. And thanks mostly for the advancement of Blacks in Sports. Uh, really a, a needed organization. Uh, and Jamal, of course, um, Thank you always of kind of putting this all together and telling people where they can. Well, you can do that in post-production. So listen, well, thank you, everybody. Uh, everybody. Continue to be careful. Uh, the pandemic is still here. Don't be fooled. You know, wear those masks, take precautions, get tested, and be safe, and keep praying. <laughs> so, <laughs> so thank you, guys. Thank you. Thank you.
Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.